you might imagine. They're all worried about sound bites. You know what sound bites are? Sound bites are those expressions, just a, a, a brief audio clip, in which one of the candidates says something that is latched onto by people, especially people in the media. And they latch onto a sound bite and then they'll play it over and over again. Now what the campaigns are interested in is putting out there a positive sound bite. They'd like for the media to catch on to something that they said that really conveys the gist of, of their positions, you know, and a, a, a good sound bite, that's worth a lot. That's, that's worth more than a lot of advertising that you might have to pay for. If you can say something that really catches on, a positive sound bite is a good thing. But what they really are on guard against is some sort of a negative sound bite. If they said something that was out of the way, something that uh, didn't convey the, the right meaning, and, and people caught on to that and began to repeat, that'd be a very bad thing to put out there a negative sound bite. Whole campaigns have been lost because of just one simple expression that a candidate made that the, was used in a bad way against him or her, and then the rest is history. So sound bites are important. Well, this morning, we want to look at a sound bite from the scriptures that I think uh, is very important because it conveys some really important spiritual truths. It comes from that reading that Jacob did for us earlier when the Apostle Paul was before King Agrippa. And I think there's some really interesting things in the statement that Agrippa made when he said, Almost thou persuadest me to be a Christian. We want to look at that statement this morning. We want to see what we can learn from it. Before we get into the lesson, we stop to thank everybody for being here. As Anthony said in the introductory comments, uh, we have a very pleasant place to join together to worship God. We're blessed in that way. We have the freedom to be here. No one opposing us. No one trying to challenge us to keep us from joining together in the worship of God. And that's a blessing that we should not take for granted. We should be very thankful that we have the opportunity to do this uh, on a regular basis. Uh, to worship and serve our God. We're thankful for it. We're thankful for you to be here to be a part of it. For any and all who are visiting with us today, thanks for coming, and please come again whenever you can. And uh, we're always open to your questions, and we'd be excited to be able to sit down and study any Bible question with you. Just say a word, and we'll certainly work to accommodate you in that way. But we thank everybody for being here this morning. Almost thou persuadest me to be a Christian. That was the statement that King Agrippa made to the Apostle Paul. Now remember, Paul, a little bit of background of this situation, Paul had been arrested in Jerusalem by Jews who hated him because he believed and taught Jesus Christ as the risen Savior. And so they had, they had arrested Paul in Jerusalem and then almost immediately uh, conspired a plot to put him to death. Because of that, he had to be taken under heavy guard out of Jerusalem and he was moved to Caesarea Philippi. And he was being held there. The Roman governor's name was Felix. He was held there for a long time. No formal charges were placed against him. In fact, he was held there long enough that Felix left that office and another man named Festus took his place. And when Festus came there, he said, I need to know what's going on with this guy. Who We've got him over here in jail, but we don't even know why. And he said, we need to hear this case. It so happened that Agrippa, who was another Roman-appointed king in the region, was visiting at the time. And so Agrippa said, I'd like to hear it too. And so they appointed a time, 
and Paul became, and Paul came before Festus and Agrippa to plead his case. Uh, and it was Festus who said, Paul, I think you've gone mad. I think you've just lost your mind. And Paul said, no. And King Agrippa there, he knows what I'm talking about. And he's aware of these things. He's very informed of these matters. And as that conversation went on, that's when Agrippa said to Paul, almost thou persuadest me to be a Christian. Now there's something to be remembered here. Agrippa said this. Agrippa was not an inspired man, right? This is an inspired recording of what an uninspired man said. Agrippa, when he said, almost thou persuadest me to be a Christian, he wasn't inspired to make that statement. But interestingly, the statement expresses some things that are true by revelation. And that's what we want to think about this morning. For instance, think about this very first word when he said, almost thou persuadest me to be a Christian. You know, the word almost means you're not there yet, right? You haven't gotten there yet. Did you see in the news this past week where there was a fellow in New York City who was trying to scale one of the tr- tall buildings there? Uh, uh, they ended up getting him off the side of the building before he got to the top. But what if you heard about a situation that, and, and the way it was described was the fellow almost made it to the top. Well, if he almost made it, he didn't make it, right? Almost is not to be there. Almost is something short of the anticipated goal. Well, to be almost a Christian means that you're not a Christian yet, right? That you're not a saved person. He was almost there, but he wasn't there yet. Now, think about this. Here's the point we really want to make. Paul said that Agrippa knew these things and understood them. He said... uh, I'm persuaded that none of these things are hidden from Agrippa, Paul said, for this thing was not done in the corner. King Agrippa, believest thou the prophets? I know that thou believest. And then Agrippa said unto Paul, almost thou persuadest me to be a Christian. He wasn't there yet, but he believed. Paul said, I know you believe, Agrippa. I know you know these things. I know you believe these things. And Agrippa said, almost thou persuadest me to be a Christian. So the point we're making here is that... A person is not saved by faith only. Because if a person was saved by faith only, Agrippa would have been saved. Agrippa believed, but he was not saved. There are a lot of people in our religious world today who have the opinion that faith and faith only is enough to save a person. And yet the scripture is so plain to show us that that's not the case. That we are not saved by faith only. This story certainly exposes that truth. There are plenty of others. One that I think is real clear to us is in John chapter 12. In John chapter 12, this is while Jesus was still on earth, and of course the ruling Jews were against Jesus, and they were making it hard on anybody who would profess allegiance to Jesus. In John chapter 12, verse 42, among the chief rulers also many believed on him, But because of the Pharisees, they did not confess him, lest they should be put out of the synagogue, for they loved the praise of men more than the praise of God. I've heard that passage be labeled unsaved believers, right? They believed on him. It says plainly that they believed on him, but they would not confess him because they loved the praise of men more than the praise of God. You can believe. Belief is necessary. But belief alone, just faith only, will not save. 
The passage, of course, that we always reference in regard to this is James chapter 2. All of us should remember James chapter 2 because it completely and so thoroughly denies the notion of salvation by faith only. Look at verse 19, for instance. Thou believest that there is one God, thou doest well. The devils also believe and tremble. But wilt thou know, O vain man, that faith without works is dead? Then, of course, in verse 24, you see then how that by works a man is justified and not by faith only. And so, the Scriptures are very clear on this point. It's, it's pretty amazing to me that the, the doctrine of salvation by faith only is so popular when it is so thoroughly uh, renounced in the Scripture. Agrippa was a believer. Paul said, I know you believe, Agrippa. Agrippa said, I'm almost there. I'm almost persuaded to be a Christian. But he wasn't there, right? Almost is not there yet, right? So he was not a saved person. The next word in this phrase is also interesting. Almost thou persuadest me to be a Christian. Who was it that had been persuading Agrippa? It was Paul, right? When he said, almost thou persuadest me to be a Christian, he was talking to Paul. And it was Paul who had been doing the persuading. Now this may seem like a, uh, an insignificant point, but it's an important one because, again, of some false ideas that people have about how salvation comes. There are some people who believe that the Holy Spirit must work directly on a person. But here, in this case, when Agrippa said, almost thou persuadest me, almost, Paul, you almost persuade me. It shows that it wasn't the direct action of the Holy Spirit that was moving Agrippa. It was Paul. It was the persuasive words of Paul that were, that were moving Agrippa in a certain direction. People these days, though, lots of people, have the idea that salvation comes by some mysterious action of the Holy Spirit. That the Holy Spirit must act directly upon a person's heart. That the Holy Spirit miraculously or extra-biblically at least draws a person and causes them to do one thing or another. And because of that, we hear people talking about their salvation experience, right? Ever had someone want to tell you their salvation experience? Or sometimes you hear people talking about a small, still voice. You know, they, they heard a whispering in their ear. Uh, another word that is a Bible word that I think has been sort of uh, usurped by some of these false teachers today, they, they talk about God putting a burden on your heart. Well, even in our Bible class this morning, we saw where the word burden, burden is used in the New Testament, but it's not the idea of the, the Holy Spirit somehow miraculously, directly putting a burden on you. The Holy Spirit works through the Word of God. And here, the one who was persuading Agrippa to be a Christian was not the Holy Spirit in some miraculous way, but the Word of God. Of course, inspired by the Holy Spirit, but actually delivered through the inspired Apostle Paul. It was Paul, the preacher, who was persuading Agrippa to be a Christian. And of course, again, this is certainly in line with what we read in the Scriptures. In Romans chapter 10, in Romans chapter 10, beginning in verse 13, Whosoever shall call on the name of the Lord shall be saved. How then shall they call on him in whom they have not believed, and how shall they believe in him of whom they have not heard, and how shall they hear without a preacher? You've got to hear. The preaching of the word is what brings a person to the point of faith, right? Verse 17, well known to us, faith cometh by hearing, hearing by the word of God. So, 
if anybody is waiting for some better felt than told experience from the Holy Spirit to draw them to salvation, you can stop waiting for that because that's not the way that it works. Go with me just briefly back to Acts chapter 2. Even in an instant when we know that the Holy Spirit was acting in this scenario, in Acts chapter 2, on the day of Pentecost, when the first gospel sermon was preached, notice Acts 2 verse 4 concerning the apostles. It says they were all filled with the Holy Ghost and began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. So here's a situation. We know that the Holy Spirit was active on the day of Pentecost, right? Miraculously active on the day of Pentecost. How did the people come to salvation? Well, skip down to the end of the sermon. Go down to verse 37. Now when they, what? When they heard this, not when they felt it, not when the Holy Spirit directly moved upon their hearts. No, when they heard this, they were pricked in their heart. They said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, men and brethren, what shall we do? Then Peter said unto them, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the remission of sins, and ye shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. For the promise is unto you, and to your children, and to all that are afar off, even as many as the Lord our God shall call. And with many other words, notice, with many other words, uh, did he testify and exhort, saying, Save yourselves from this untoward generation. Then they that gladly received his word were baptized, and the same day were added unto them about 3,000 souls. And so, again, Agrippa had a sense of this, and he expressed it when he said, Almost thou persuadest me to be a Christian. He understood the persuading was coming through the preaching of the word, right? Almost thou persuadest me. Well, here's another part of this expression that makes a point, if we will allow it to be so. Have you ever heard of mourner's bench salvation? You know what mourner's bench salvation is? We don't hear a whole lot about that anymore. Uh, have you ever heard the expression, praying through? you got to pray through to be saved. And the idea of that is that if you are, are a sinner... What you've got to do is you just got, you know, you just got to get down on your hands and knees and you got to pray and pray and pray and beg and beg and beg for God to save you. And in lots of denominational churches, they would have had, I don't know if they have them anymore, but they would have had a, a mourner's bench. And the idea is that you come to this mourner's bench, maybe it's a, a, a bench where you kneel at the front of the uh, uh, auditorium. And you get down on your hands and knees and you just pray and pray and pray until God finally answers your prayer and He sends you salvation. You beg Him to save you. And you've got to beg. You've got to plead. You've got to pray through is the idea of mourner's bench salvation. Well, here in Agrippa's statement, almost thou... Who, who had to be persuaded in this matter? In, in the salvation of Agrippa, who had to be persuaded to get that done? It wasn't God who had to be persuaded to save Agrippa. It was Agrippa himself who had to be persuaded to do the right thing. The whole idea is that man makes the decision. God's already made the decision. You don't have to persuade God to save you. God wants to save you. God's made salvation available to all. In 1 Timothy chapter 2, in 1 Timothy chapter 2 at verse 4, it says so plainly, God will have all men to be saved and come unto the knowledge of the truth. That's pretty clear, isn't it? There's no doubt about that. A verse that we looked at earlier today in our, in our Bible class was 2 Peter 3, verse 9. The Lord is not slack concerning His promises. Some men count slackness, but is long-suffering to, to usward, 
not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. You don't have to beg and plead with God to save you. God's made that salvation available. How, how much plainer could that be when we see the amazing sacrifice of His Son Jesus on the cross of Calvary? God has done all that is needed. God's gone extremely overboard to save us unworthy sinners. He doesn't have to be persuaded to save us. We have to be persuaded to do what He's asked us to do in order to have salvation. And so, again, not more than salvation. Almost thou persuadest me to be a Christian. Uh, here's another point that I think deserves to be stressed from this famous answer of Agrippa. Uh, a Christian is not... Salvation, I guess we should say, is not something you get. You become. You are a Christian. It's not something that happens to you, but it's something that you do. We hear some expressions, I think, that probably denote a misunderstanding in this regard. You hear people talking about getting religion. He got religion. You, know, you ever heard someone describe though? He got religion. And if you, if you weren't real clear about that, you would assume it was something, you know, that sort of hit him like a lightning bolt. You know, it's, it's, it's something that happened to a person. He got religion. It just, it just happened. All of a sudden, it, it just happened. Being a Christian is not something that you get. It's something that you are. It's something that you become. i tell you an expression that we hear probably more often these days is to get saved. I got saved. How often have we heard our religious friends use that expression? I got saved. And again, that would sort of leave you with the impression that it just happened to you. You got saved. And that's not true to the Bible. Uh, the Bible suggests that salvation is a commitment that you make. It's something that you are. It is to be a Christian. It is what you become. Uh, as we said a minute ago, God has certainly done His part. And now the question is, will you do your part? In Philippians chapter 2, the Apostle Paul used an expression in Philippians chapter 2 at verse 12 when he said, Wherefore... My beloved, as ye have always obeyed, not as in my presence only, but now much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. I draw your special attention to that expression. Work out your own salvation. It's something that you do. It's not something you get. Not something that just happens to you. Jesus, remember, said in Matthew chapter 7, verse 21, Not everyone that saith unto me, Lord, Lord, shall enter into the kingdom of heaven, but he that doeth the will of my Father which is in heaven. you got to do the will of the Father. And then in Luke chapter 6, at verse 46, Jesus said, Why call ye me Lord, Lord, and do not the things that I say? There's something to do here. You don't just sit back and let this happen to you. You don't get saved. You are saved by virtue of what you've decided to do. It's not something you get. It's something that you are. The verb to be, of course, is the verb that talks about uh, our, 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 what we are. To be is the most, probably the most common verb in the English language, but it conveys a message here of salvation. And then finally, he said, Almost thou persuadest me to be a Baptist. Almost thou persuadest me to be a Lutheran. 
Almost thou persuadest me to be a Presbyterian. Almost thou persuadest me to be a Catholic. Well, no, he didn't say that, obviously, right? One of the reasons that he didn't say that is he couldn't have said it, right? Because those, those religious organizations didn't even exist in that day. We're talking about the first century, right? What were all those denominations in the first century? They didn't exist. You can trace the history of all those man-made denominations. Most of them are just a few hundred years old. This goes back almost 2,000 years to the very beginning of Christianity. Those man-made organizations, religious bodies, with all of their varying doctrines, all their differing organizational strata, that did not exist in the first century. And so it's very, it is so obvious, but makes a clear point. What do you want to be? Well, I want to be a Christian, right? I don't want to be a member of some man-made religious body. I want to be a member of the church that Jesus died for. I want to be a Christian. Uh, I want to be a follower of the Lord Jesus Christ. Just be just Christian. Paul wasn't persuading Agrippa to be anything other than that. As we said, one very obvious reason is because those various religious bodies didn't even exist back then. But more so that, and uh, more so than that, and, and really underlying that is the fact that modern denominationalism is completely contrary to the will of God. Look in John chapter 17. We often reference this passage, and I think we accurately call it the Lord's Prayer. Because what men often call the Lord's Prayer should be more accurately called the model prayer. If you want to know what the Lord Himself prayed for and about, you, you can see that in John 17. Uh, just immediately before he was arrested, tried, and crucified, he prayed a prayer. And in the, in the course of that prayer, in John chapter 17, verse 20, he said, Neither pray I for these alone. He'd been praying for his apostles. But he said, Neither pray I for these apostles alone, but for them also which shall believe on me through their work, that they all may be one, as thou, Father, art in me, and I in thee, that they also may be one in us, that the world may believe that thou hast sent me. Jesus wanted his disciples, his immediate disciples, and all those who would ultimately become disciples through the preaching of the word. He wanted all to be one. Modern denominationalism is completely contrary to that desire of the Lord. Denominations. The word denominate suggests the idea of division. Everybody's completely happy with denominationalism these days. When the very word itself denotes the, the concept of division, lack of unity, the unity that Jesus prayed for. And so, the reason why Agrippa was being persuaded to be a Christian and nothing else, and not a member of some denomination, certainly those denominations didn't exist, but you would have never found an inspired man like the Apostle Paul suggesting anything akin to modern denominationalism. The Lord prayed for unity. Denominationalism is contrary to the will of God. In 1 Corinthians chapter 1 and verse 10, Paul said, I beseech you, brethren, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that you all speak the same thing, that there be no divisions among you, but that you be perfectly joined together in the same mind and in the same judgment. That certainly sounds much different than the idea of, that's being promoted in our time of unity and diversity. You believe what you want to believe. You believe what you want to believe. I'll believe what I want to believe. It's all different. We all believe different things. We all do different things. We all say different things. We all worship in different ways. But we'll call that unity. That's not unity, right? 
The unity that the Lord wanted was no divisions among us, that we'd be perfectly joined together. And so Paul wasn't encouraging Agrippa to be anything other than just a Christian. So again, I want to reiterate to you, although this is a really famous expression on the part of Agrippa, almost that persuades me to be a Christian. Remember that Agrippa himself was not an inspired man, and so that statement is not an inspired statement. It's an inspired recording of an uninspired statement. But it's interesting that it does convey so many elements of truth when we compare it to everything else that we read in the Word of God. Not saved by faith only, not saved by a direct action of the Holy Spirit, not mourner's bench salvation, which we have to beg God to do the saving. It's not something that happens to you, but it's something that you choose to become a Christian. A Christian, not a member of some man-made organization or denomination. Important expressions in that famous answer of Agrippa. Things that we all need to know. Things that we need to apply because salvation of our souls is really the only thing that really matters in life. No matter what else happens, if we lose our eternal souls, if we fail to be saved eternally in heaven, we've just missed it all. Are you a Christian this morning? Have you obeyed that simple gospel plan of salvation? God's done His part. He wants you to be saved. You need to respond. Having heard the truth, believe it. Repent of your sins. Confess your faith in Jesus. Be baptized for the remission of sins. If you're a Christian already, but you've fallen away and not been faithful to your Lord, we beg you to come back to Him in repentance, confession, and prayer. If we can help in any way, let us know what we stand and sing this song.